focus on the overall user experience and not trying to sound cool. You want the user to do something like this is all intentional, right? You want them to go to the next tab. You want them to click the button. You want them to hit submit. You want them to buy whatever the action is. So just be clear. You're listening to the UI Narrative Podcast, the bi-weekly podcast that shares how industry-leading designers got started in interface design and how they create successful user-centered experiences. And I'm your host, Tolu Ajayi. Let's get started. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the UI Narrative Podcast. We got a guest, y'all. So Kamoy Matthews was born on the island of St. Thomas, and most of her family is from the island of St. Kitts. She's currently in Mexico, where she gets to enjoy the beach and leverage her time to work on her entrepreneurial projects. She's currently trained in technical writing and business process improvement. She has worked with Google as their content strategist on the ads platform, and her latest project involved working with a credit union to create tutorials for their HR and commercial lending web applications. Her goal is to introduce as many people as possible to technical writing and all of its cousins, i.e. content strategy and UX writing for those who want to explore a lucrative and rewarding career through writing. As such, she's created a free email series, an online course, and a boutique agency to prepare others for this type of career. Everyone, welcome Kamoy to the UI Narrative Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. All right. So first, I want to get everyone on the same page. The title UX writer can be confusing depending on who you ask. So I figured the best person to ask is someone who does this professionally full time. Kamoy, what does the UX writer do? (laughs) So UX stands for user experience. So someone who writes content for web and mobile applications would be considered a user experience writer. Now, writing in the broad scheme of things have many different titles and different companies could use other terms such as technical writer or content strategist. But for the most part, UX writing is a little bit different in that it's shorter copy. So it's usually not long form like a manual or an SOP, for example. It's usually the text that you see on the screen. So let's say that you log into Facebook and all the different tabs that you see on the left-hand side or right-hand side, or if you log into your favorite bank application, all the different field names, the error messages, the confirmation messages. So those small, short forms of copy is typically what is considered UX writing. That was a great explanation. So pretty much anyone who's used any type of application has been exposed to UX writing in some form or fashion. Exactly. Yes. Everything that you see on a screen is there for a reason. And it was more than likely written by a UX writer or a technical writer. It just depends. Mm. All right, let's dive into your narrative. How did you get started in UX writing? I actually started out with technical writing in 2011. 
oddly enough, where I lived in the Fairfax County, they would send out these catalogs with different classes and opportunities to like take cooking or creative classes, anything that the county was offering, they would send them out every quarter. So I was just flipping through the catalog and I saw creative writing, which is what I was actually thinking about taking a class in creative writing. But right below that, I saw technical writing and it intrigued me because it was a career I've never heard of. So I signed up for that class. It was like four Saturdays. And during that class, I realized that I was doing technical writing as part of my job, but I didn't know it was a thing. So I immediately switched my career from having a really strong engineering background and doing more analytical work to focusing more on technical writing, because to me, it was easy. Just to me, though, I'm not saying it is easy. I'm just saying that it was natural for me to explain complicated concepts, try to break them down and make them easier for others to understand. So I built my career up over the years. And then when I landed at Google in 2015, I think I'm getting my years mixed up. But when I was at Google, that's when I first learned about UX writing. So we were working on the Google AdWords platform and just to name the field or to name a tab or a radio button, it was a brainstorming session and I loved it. I was working with designers and it was such a creative process to come up with the different field names or tool tips or those kind of copy that you would see on the application. That's when I discovered that UX writing is a thing. So not only did I discover technical writing, but there were so many other forms of writing to get into. And that's when I discovered UX writing. Wow, that's awesome. I think it's too like hearing your story about how you didn't know that you were already doing some technical writing with your day-to-day job and realizing like, hey, if I just take this course, like I'm going to be full-rounded in this. I think that's a great example of how anyone can get into UX writing if, you know, copywriting, you feel like that's one of your strong attributes because you never know, like, how Kamori was like she was already doing it in her day to day to day job, but all it took was a little course to get her that foundation of what it's like working with products when it comes to technical writing. Yes, one hundred percent. I did not know. I was full blown. Like I'm an engineer. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to do the more technical analytic stuff. But for whatever reason, I enjoyed writing, and not a lot of engineers do. <laughs> but Yeah, I think that's the thing with being in tech. There are so many different careers to explore. So whatever your strength is, I would say there's probably some profession out there that will match your skill set and your interests, and you just never know. Right. I want to get into your experience with Google. What was it like working as a UX writer at Google? It was actually fun. Like, I think working at Google was probably the most fun I've had at a corporate job. It was very creative. So like I mentioned before, I was working with product managers and UX designers, and we were coming up with how the application would look and where we wanted the user to click, what action steps we wanted them to take. And coming up with what to say so that someone is informed and instructed well, and they also have a good user experience is a creative process and it's also challenging. So 
yeah, I was working on the Google AdWords platform. It's a huge software application or web-based application, I should say. It's very complex behind the scenes. I mean, the concept itself is, okay, let's advertise online, but all the features on the back end are really complicated. So of course, because I had an engineering background, I was tasked with some of the most complicated features of the platform. But yeah, so I had ownership of maybe 10 to 15 different features of the app. So I would work with my product managers to learn more about how it worked. And I would test the experience for myself. And then I would be responsible for coming up with what the text on the app should say, and also any troubleshooting content associated with it. So if you go to Google Ads Help Center, you will see some of my work. <laughs> so yeah, that's that, that's what the experience was like. It was really fun. It sounds awesome too. Like I love personally too, like whenever I go to a product's page and I see like the work I've been done, you know, because you get that proud moment of like, Yes, all that stuff I've been working on hard. You see the fruition of that. Yeah. Could you (laughs) explain in a little bit more detail for those who don't know what Google AdWords is? So the ads that you see online, they are produced by Google AdWords. So if a business, for example, wants to advertise, let's say a swimming pool business, if they want to create an ad that goes online for their swimming pool business, they have to use the Google AdWords platform. So creating that text, logging into the system is actually not very, it's not a basic process because there are many different features that businesses like. For example, if you want someone who sees your ad to call you, then you would have to use some of their call features. If you would like to show different types of pools that you offer and the different colors that you see, then there's a different feature in Google AdWords. So I'm sure people who have done some shopping online lately, they would see kind of like images at the top of Google and the different price points. So that's one aspect. Let's say if you Google swimming pool and you want your ad to show up with five-star reviews or three-star reviews or whatever it is. That's another feature as well. So there are so many different features that you can create with an ad. And that is what the platform does. It allows you to create different features and allow you to engage with potential buyers and customers. So you can tag, you can track them, you can see their behavior, how they interact with your ad. It's so much that goes into it behind the scenes. Definitely. Every time I search for something on Google, I see a bunch of ads on the top. Sometimes it's only like one. So I always wonder like how that filtering is going, like maybe just just not that many people that have ads for that topic. But sometimes I'll see like up to six ads piled up before I get to the general selection there. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of businesses competing for your attention and your money. So (laughs) there's always some kind of innovation happening behind the scenes. And that's why I enjoyed working at Google because each day was just different and I was working on a different feature of the product. So it's really dynamic. Let's take a short break. Have you ever received the bad feedback on your mobile app designs? Yeah, me too. I know how much it sucks to receive negative feedback on a design I've worked so hard on. And I still reflect on the first time my work was called ugly over seven years ago. I was determined to become a better designer, so I created a grading system to see just how bad I was. And once I graded myself, 
I realized where my problem areas were and began to focus on improving them. Seven years later, and I'm still using this system at my corporate job for every project. Since I've started using this grading system, I'm able to have the confidence in knowing I presented my best work to my clients and my boss. I created this layout grading system to help you find clarity on how to decipher feedback and improve your designs. In this guide, we go over industry-tested best practices that I use in my day-to-day -day and reveal where your problem areas are. Then we proceed with action steps on how to improve your designs. You have the power to change negative feedback into something positive. Visit uinarrative.com slash grading system to start improving your designs today. That's uinarrative.com slash grading system. I'm super excited to share the methods that help me turn my designs into something exceptional and I can't wait to see it do the same for you. Every job has hiccups and frustrations. As a product designer, one of my biggest challenges is starting hi-fi mockups before thinking through the user flow, just because it feels kind of backwards. But depending on the client, sometimes I have to go that route. What's the most challenging part of being a UX writer? I would say it depends on the, the job, of course, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, but also depending on how the company operates, Sometimes as a writer, you could be the last person in the design process. So the designers, the, the developers, they've all created this awesome product or this awesome feature. And then at the end, you're the one that has to make it all make sense. And sometimes things don't work out that well. It's not a good experience for customers. Sometimes you as a writer have to come up with workarounds because depending on how late you are in the testing phase, you can't go back and say, hey, this doesn't work. You guys need to change this. It's kind of one of those situations where you're like, okay, this is a version that is going out. So we got to work around it. And this is a workaround. So you have to write that in a way that doesn't quote unquote call out <laughs> the functionality of the product, but still inform the customer or the user you know, this is what you need to do and do it in a way that it appears as if nothing is wrong, basically. So it's a skill set that you have to know how to communicate with users so that they aren't even aware that this feature could be better. <laughs> yeah, that does yeah. sound pretty challenging. You've worked in numerous industries from like IT, finance, management consulting, and even I saw tourism industries, which I thought was interesting. I want to talk a little bit about your process. Have you had a product that had you feeling like, how am I going to write for this? Meaning like unclear direction or just playing like creative writer's block. How do you overcome moments like this? So I don't believe in writer's block because we don't have talker's block. If there's a challenge in product, we're going to talk about it. We're going to say what's wrong with it or why it should be better. So that means there's some thought there to it. And that means you could write something to it, right? And when you have words on paper, you can improve upon that. So I would say if you're ever having trouble writing something, just talk first. <laughs> and if you have to record yourself and transcribe it, that might help too. So I wouldn't say I've had any writer's blocks with products is a matter of getting more clarity on how something works. So like I said, well, let me try another example instead of Google. So I've worked at a regulations company and 
it's instead of the stock market, imagine the bond market. So the local stuff that happens around you, the municipalities and stuff like that. So that is heavily regulated and it's very complicated. (laughs) So one of the biggest blocks were legal copy because you have to be very careful what you say when it comes to regulations, but you also want to speak in a way that users understand how to use a product. So you have this battle with the company wanting to protect themselves on the legal side of things, but you also want users to do what they need to do so that they are compliant. So it's a matter of having conversations. So I have, and I believe as a writer, technical writer, UX writer, that you are always the advocate for the user. So that means sometimes you are going to have to fight, not fight physically, but I mean, you're going to have to voice your opinion and your concerns to product managers, to lawyers, to even marketing people and say, you know what? This legalese is not going to work. People are not going to read that. They're not going to follow the steps. Can we say it a better way? Or can we put this legalese content somewhere else, right? And I've definitely done that level of pushback before. So there are some challenges with that. And I would say writing for, for any product that is heavily legalese, (laughs) (laughs) that can definitely be a challenge. But again, it's just having those conversations and not taking anything personally and just saying, okay, I hear you. I understand you want to talk about that, but is the user at the end of the day going to understand? Are they going to follow suit? So that's how I kind of deal with any blocks per se. It's just having the conversations and focusing on the user. Yeah, definitely. As a UX designer, you know, product designer, dealing that constant like push and pull between the stakeholders of they think something should be a certain way, but then you're trying to say like based off of the research, like this is what the users actually want it to look like. And on your side, like how they would want it to say. Something I've seen a lot is companies wanting to use like certain lingo because they think like, oh, that's a cool phrase or this, but (laughs) no one other than like internally gets it because that's just not how people outside of the business, you know, talk about that product or that certain thing. So definitely being able to fight, as you said, for the users, I feel is really important just to help create a full product that is completely understood by the user. Exactly. And that's where having a style guide is very helpful. So if the company that you're with doesn't have one, you definitely want to have a say in what the tone and the voice of the company is and how they communicate with external users. You definitely want to create one or, you know, work with communications or whomever to create one if one doesn't already exist, because then that will help help you with the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. In the People of Tech article you mentioned, Google is the only company I've worked for that requires my content to be translated into over 40 languages. What are the biggest hurdles you faced when translating copy for several languages for Google's AdWords? So one of them would be the character length. So I can't remember off the top of my head, but let's just say the word click 
is C-L-I-C-K, five letters. And it takes up, you know, not a lot of space. But in another language, it could take up like 10 character spaces. (laughs) (laughs) So we definitely have to get a little bit more creative as far as how to say something so that it translates into another language. So yeah, that was the first time I've experienced that. And it definitely helped me to get to the point even more so. So that was one of the challenges. And what's interesting is coding language is its own language. So it doesn't always get translated. So you have to be careful with that at times. If you're mentioning any type of HTML or whatever type of coding in the deliverable that you're writing, you have to figure out how to make it distinct, put it in its own snippet, for example, so that the language, the HTML or whatever it is, doesn't get translated because that's its own thing. So I remember some of those issues. But yeah, it was definitely challenging. Well, I didn't even think about the code part of it. I was only thinking about, you know, the front end of what they're reading. So that's very interesting. Yeah, because if you're telling someone how to install a code, for example, then you definitely want to make it stand out from the rest of the text. So best practice is to put it in in its own snippet or maybe some other companies will italicize it or put it green or something. They usually have some sort of best practice so that it doesn't get translated. So yeah, it was it was a it was an interesting experience. It also adds time as well. So it's something you have to factor in with your launch. So if a feature is coming out, you know, in a month, you have to make sure that your content is ready for the most part, like solid, and then give the translation team enough time to translate it in those language languages. And then sometimes they come back and they're like, ah, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So (laughs) you have to to say, okay, we'll put this out for now. And then next launch, we'll make an update for this country. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to do what you have to do sometimes. Yeah. Whenever you're translating, do you usually get someone that can look at the translations and say, okay, this is right or wrong? Or is it one of those things you have to push out and then see if it's right or wrong? No, no. So typically, like I said, after I'm done with my article or whatever the content is, it goes to the team and they are the one that's trans- they translate it and make sure it all makes sense before we push it out to the public. So like I said, this is only something I've experienced with Google. I mean, it's a huge company and they have a global audience. So they have a whole team to support that kind of level of effort. But yeah, it's definitely a solid team. Something I've learned after being in the product industry for over six years now is that I have particular products I like to work on, like mobile, and now I'm getting into games. What's your favorite type of product to write copy for and why? Mm, Well, All of my experiences have been web-based applications. I haven't worked on a game. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I have. It's not an actual game yet. I'm just in the process of creating my own. (laughs) Ah, okay. That's cool. (laughs) No, I mean, literally, that's the thing about being a UX writer or a technical writer. There are so many different web-based applications 
you know, like I've, I've mentioned, I've written for AdWords platforms, for financial platforms, HR platforms, so many different products. So I could probably work for the next 20 years and still have unique experiences, even though I only worked on web-based applications. So I have worked a little bit on mobile applications, but it's usually for the most complicated type of web-based applications that I've worked on. And I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it because you get to see the impact. You get to know that, yeah, this application that you use every day to do X, Y, Z, I help write that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's why I like my job. Great, great. What are some common UX copy malpractices you see in products today? I would say, like you mentioned, trying to be cool instead of clear. Sometimes you just need to get to the point. People attention spans are getting shorter and shorter as time goes on. So if you're not 100% clear what you want the user to do next, then you could definitely lose them. So I would just say focus on the overall user experience and not trying to sound cool because you want you want the user to do something. Like this is all intentional, right? You want them to go to the next tab. You want them to click the button. You want them to hit submit. You want them to buy, whatever the action is. So just be clear, I would say. And think about the user experience because I know, for example, a lot of people can relate when they're applying for a job. I hate like 90% of job applications because mm-hmm. there's so many different fields and yeah. so many different tabs. And it's like four pages long. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this later. (laughs) But if you implement something like Typeform or a way for them to save and encourage them to come back, if you make that experience just a little bit more easier or more enjoyable, then you would have more applicants. But yeah, it's just thinking more about the user experience. I think more work should definitely be done in that area. Yeah, I definitely relate to looking at different job applications and even being just confused on what they're looking for because they'll be like, are you a cool something? Like they'll say like characteristics (laughs) about, you know, personality. And it's just like, what about the technical part of the job? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's a great example. How can someone get into UX writing as a full-time job? I would say get creative and start writing for applications that you use every day. So whether it's your app on your phone or whatever application you use online. So let's say, you know, for example, a job application, start updating the copy yourself. You don't need to be there full time to actually make improvements. There is some application that you use that could be improved. So I would say start building your portfolio by writing. Definitely update your LinkedIn profile. If you are not on LinkedIn, you are missing out. So get on LinkedIn, start talking about your interest in UX writing, start using the hashtags, um, start following other UX writers and commenting on their work, Um, share some of the projects that you're working on just to gain more visibility and update your resume and start applying. And that's what I would recommend. 
it's certainly not a feel that you should be very passive where you just fill out a job application and that and hope that someone hires you. You have to put in a little bit more work. Let's take a short break. Did you listen to this episode before it launched? My email club members are the only people who get access to this behind the scenes information. They're the first to know when I post a new blog post, launch new products, and I also share clips of the next podcast episode. This weekly email is a way for you to see the behind the scenes of what new things are coming to UI Narrative. I also share my weekly UI UX inspirations, tips, and challenges. So you get to see what my creative process is like each week. So this next episode is about, <laughs> oh wait, I can't tell you. You have to join the UI Narrative email club to hear more. You can join at uinarrative.com slash email club. That's uinarrative.com slash email club. I have a lot to tell you, so I can't wait to talk to you soon. How do you look for jobs in UX writing or what are the titles usually and where can you find them? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. (laughs) Get your LinkedIn, everyone. Yes. So... This is very strategic and it's something that I teach in my course. So y'all are getting the tea, (laughs) but you have to search for recruiters, technical recruiters or recruiters that work at the company you're interested in and reach out to them and see if they're sourcing for UX writing roles. But also a quick search on LinkedIn. If you type in UX writer and hit enter, there's a tab that says jobs or people. But click on both and explore the opportunities that are available because sometimes you have companies that have ads for the job itself. And then you also have people who are saying, hey, my company is hiring a UX writer. So you also want to click on the people tab to see any mentions of the keyword UX writer. All right, listeners, are any of you just hearing about UX writing for the first time, or maybe you're interested in UX writing now that you've learned a little bit more about it? Well, you could get started today because Kamoy has a course on this. Kamoy, can you tell us a little bit about your course, Get Paid to Write, and what inspired you, and what can students learn in your course? Get Paid to Write is my online course. And I was inspired to create it because I wanted to increase the awareness of this career field. And to be honest, every single week, a recruiter is reaching out to me about a technical writing job or a UX writing job or something similar. So the opportunities are out there. I can't do them all. So I would love to inspire other people to get into this career. So my course offers some guidance on how to do just that. I walk you through how to create your portfolio. I give you some exercises. And then from there, I show you how to update your LinkedIn profile and how to update your resume and how to communicate with recruiters so that you are able to get that interview and get that job. And I'm happy to say that we have some success stories. So check them out at keepingupwithkimoy.com. Yeah, and I think you'll, you'll enjoy the course content. I try to make it as easy and fun as possible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes, keepingupwithkamoy.com. Kamoy also has a five-day email series, How to Break into Tech in Five Days. What's the intent for this series? And what do you want people that sign up for this to walk away with? So the email series is to get 
people who are curious about the field to get more understanding about what it is that technical writer or UX writer does, how much they get paid, what do they do? So all those common questions, you know, what kind of skill sets do you need to have? I address those in the five-day email series. So it's a way to get your wheels spinning and see if this is a career that you want to explore. Yeah. So if you're on the fence for if UX writing is right for you, then please check out the email series for more in-depth details about UX writing. Next, we're going to get into listener questions. I asked on Instagram stories and Twitter if you had any questions for a UX writer. And let's go through one of them. This first one is, I'm not a writer, but is tech writing something I can get good at over time? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. With anything, you know, the more time you put into it, you can definitely get better. It's one of those things that you shouldn't just read about. I do recommend you read about UX copy, UX writing, but also practice yourself. So I would say create instructions on how to take a picture and post it on Instagram and give it to your grandma (laughs) (laughs) or give it to someone who's not really into social media and see if they know how to follow the instructions. So that's how you are able to see the experience that someone has and how well you are able to communicate that. So, yeah. All right. That's all the listener answers for this week. As a reminder, you could be included in the next episode. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at UI Narrative and Twitter at UI Narrative CO. I randomly ask questions that will be featured in an episode and answer your questions live on the show. All right. So I like to end the show with a random question that's completely unrelated to what we've been talking about. So my question for you is, what's the grossest food you ever had to eat to be polite? (laughs) I don't eat to be polite. (laughs) (laughs) If something is gross or I'm sorry, but... I am not going to eat it. And I tell people, look, I'm sorry. I don't want to eat it. I'm good. So yeah, I've never done that. (laughs) Yeah, I will be polite in other ways, but I'm definitely not going to eat anything that's remotely gross. So nah, I'm not the one. I've, I've been to several different countries. You know, I'm the one recording my friends eating the scorpion and all that crazy stuff. Worms and that's no, oh I'm no, 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 girl, no, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, I politely decline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the the main time I remember where I ate something polite is with papaya. I really do not like papaya. I don't either. You don't, girl. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> But my dad had brought it home and he was so excited for us to try it because he's like, oh, you're going to love it. And I was eating it and I was like, yeah, tastes good. And then when he turned around, I threw it away. Yeah, no. And that's so funny because my dad loves papaya. And I was like, that thing smells horrible there's no way I'm eating that (laughs) it does smell bad and it's like it's so worse much worse when you put it in your mouth (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, hard pass 
I love that you do not like papaya because like my other friends are like, oh, papaya is great. Like you should try it in a smoothie. It's like, why would I put that in a smoothie? <laughs> Ruin the smoothie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want my smoothie to be fruity. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Where can we connect with you online? I am at keepingupwithkamoy.com. I am typically on Instagram sometimes or Facebook. I would say my website is the best place to go. That's where I have information for for the listeners, for everyone. Awesome. Well, you guys, you can find her portfolio of projects and companies she supported on her website, techcopyexpert.com. And if you'd like more training on UX writing, visit her website, keepingupwithkamoy.com for all those details and to say hello. Also tag me at UI Narrative or Kamoy. It's Kamoy M, so K-I-M-M-O-Y-M, as in Mary. Yeah, that's where I am. All right, you'll find her there. And just tag any women you know that would be interested in becoming a UX writer. And they could be someone that has experience with writing or not an experience with writing. Just sharing with them that this could possibly be a way for them to break into the product design industry. I appreciate you taking the time to join us on this episode today, Kamoy. And I know listeners are excited and just ex- ready to see if UX writing is a career for them now that they know that's an option. Thank you so much. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the UI Narrative Podcast. If you like what you hear, make sure to show this podcast some love by commenting and subscribing where you listen. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at UI Narrative or Twitter at UI Narrative CO. I also respond to emails at hello at UI Talk to you later. Bye.